Today on the 1012 Podcast, myself, Andy, and Ari Temkin of Big 12 Radio recap Week 13 of the Big 12, look ahead to the Big 12 Championship game between Texas and Oklahoma State, have thoughts on Houston, firing Dana Holgerson, and where they should turn next, and much, much more in the Big 12. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network. Find every podcast in the network at 1012network.com. That's T E N, the number 12, the word network. And we are partners with Sports Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. I'm your host, Philip Slave, and thank you for joining us on this Monday. It is officially championship week in college football. The regular season has come to an end. And if that realization hasn't struck you yet, for some, you're shedding a tear uh, because the season is completely and totally over. Uh, For a few teams, you're shedding a tear of joy because your head coach is no longer in charge of the program that couldn't reach a bowl game this year. And for some of you, you're just you're excited about a bowl game to come and maybe a championship game is in your team's future. We have a lot to break down today. Uh, Wherever you are listening, please do us a favor. Leave us five stars and a review. It really helps the show out, especially if you are on iTunes. If you're watching or listening on YouTube, please leave uh, like the video, not leave the video, please like the video and subscribe uh, joining me today, as he does every week, he is the host of the Rock Chalk Podcast, part of the 1012 Network. He is Andy Mitz. I am just enjoying the fact that there was a Kansas victory on Saturday and that uh, Kansas Volleyball is going to the NCAA tournament and hosting. So, great weekend. Uh, the Vibe Queen just got back from Vegas, so no JSJ today. Uh, in her stead, I-, I-, I had his name marked down just in case. <laughs> he is the man who gave Oklahoma State their one and only first-place vote in the pre- the preseason Big 12 poll. So it only seemed right to bring him on since Oklahoma State has a shot of actually proving him right. He is Ari Temkin of Big 12 Radio. Ari, welcome back, man. It's good to be back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, sir. Always a pleasure. It's so nice because you could be here on a Sunday because Dallas already played. You're not busy covering the Cowboys tonight. Yeah, and I haven't uh I've not been doing Cowboys games now for the last couple of years. So uh it's it's good to to step away from that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna edit that out because I thought you still were, so never mind. Okay. <clears throat> no worries. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's on me. All right. Um no worries, dude. before we dive into football. Uh, before we dive into football, let's shout out to BYU Soccer. Down 3-0 against North Carolina last week, then proceeded to score four unanswered goals in the final 29 minutes to get the win and advance to the final four. They'll face Stanford on Friday, December 1st for a shot at the national championship against either Florida State or Clemson. Shout out to the BYU ladies. They have had a fantastic first season in the Big 12 and are continuing to do in the postseason what they often do. Uh, We're going to get to the Big 12 championship game here in a few minutes. We have to start with Houston. The Houston Cougars, of course, they lost on Saturday at UCF to help the uh, Knights get to bowl eligibility. But Houston fans, I think for the most part, are rejoicing right now because Dana Holgerson is out. He is no longer the head coach of the Houston Cougars. I will miss Dana personally because his comments were always fun. Uh, He was always worth a good quote and it gave us something to talk about often. But I do think his getting fired at the end of the season is somewhat funny for a couple of different reasons. Let's start with the fact that this comes less than two weeks after a Paper City Magazine exclusive interview with Houston Mega Booster Tillman Fertitta in which he said, quote, of course, when asked if Holgerson would be back for a second season in the Big 12. That is before the Saturday like of the Oklahoma State game. Mind you, there was a big presser thing with him and and Dana around that time uh, where Dana was cracking a lot of jokes and Fertitta made a few thinly veiled comments about reaching bowl eligibility, which Houston did not. Also, reminder, Dana Holgerson said to Sam Kahn Jr. of The Athletic this past spring, quote, I have five years on my contract with a effing impossible buyout. There ain't no effing hot seat in my mind. There just ain't. 
What a thing to say before a four and eight season that sees you fired and paid roughly $15 million to no longer coach the Houston Cougars. So look, I, uh, I think Dana Hogerson is the first guy in the history of sports that gave himself the dreaded vote of confidence and then got fired for it. <laughs> uh, I mean, in my mind, it, it feels like the right decision. Uh, the, you look at Houston during his tenure, he had a, a crazy plan to basically, you know, build the program back up. They had a nice season two years ago and it's all come backwards since then. And and they have underachieved based off expectation. And you watch the team this year and there's some bright spots. There's a few players and there's, there's talent on this roster, no doubt, but it's definitely not talent that's living up to the expectation that Houston has now that they're in the big 12. So I'm not shocked that this move was made. There was kind of some buzz of, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, they could pay the buyout if need be, but will they, will Tillman Fertitta actually do it? I mean, let's be honest here. Tillman Fertitta is the one foot in the bill for the 15 million to be able to get him out and get somebody else in. Uh, Ari, we'll start with you. Thoughts on Dana no longer being the head coach at Houston? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised. Um, in some ways, though, I am. Um, I mean, look, this is a team that won 12 games a couple of years ago. This is a guy that, you know, it, it did a Holgerson that led Houston into the Big 12 after losing, you know, basically your your all-do-everything passer last year, your top wideouts and your top running back who left and went to Colorado in the transfer portal. So – in ultimate Caskill. So I, I mean, I, I get it, I guess, but I don't. I, they won eight, you know, they won 20 games in two years with that core and lost those guys. The what it had took a major step up in 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 conference. Um so you know, look, I think the offense was certainly disappointing this year. That goes back to uh Dana Holgerson. I think losing the rice game may have been, you know, one of the first things that that kind of sent him on his way. But yeah, I mean. You know, you, you win 20 games in two years, last two out of three, last three years, and, and then you lose everybody and join a new conference, which seemed like they'd buy you a little bit of leeway. And then, of course, the $20 million buyout. But, you know, it's obvious that the person in charge uh, had, had bigger expectations. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm shocked they haven't already hired Jeff Trailer. Yeah, I mean, Dana is one of those guys, like, I think everybody kind of assumed that he had bought himself a bunch of goodwill by getting, you know, getting Houston into the Big 12, like, you know, there was a there was a, a report about he got a one million dollar bonus if, you know, the Big 12 went into the or if the Big 12 invited Houston and was accepted. So, you know, I mean, I, I think that there was a lot of people, Dana included, who thought that he had a lot more rope than he had. But when you act the way that he does and dismiss people and have blow ups on the sideline and in press conferences, you lose a lot of that goodwill. And you put yourself in a very bad situation. And so while I don't necessarily think that everything is his fault, um, you know, I mean, this is the guy that had a bunch of players who decided to sit out so that way they could, you know, basically tank a year so that they could come back and try to win the next year. Um, like, there's a long and complicated history of of Dana down with Houston. And I'm not surprised it's over. I honestly thought it could have happened a lot earlier. I wouldn't have been shocked if they fired him midseason because of some of the stuff going on. And I don't know that it got any better throughout the season. I mean, you can look at the season a couple of different ways. You know, hey, they, they almost beat Texas. That's a positive, right? They, they were in that game. Um, they had a lead against Oklahoma State. So they, they had shots. The two teams are going to be in the Big 12 championship game. You can use those as positive takeaways. But you lose to Rice, a team you're not supposed to lose to. You, I mean, you, you only beat West Virginia because of one of the wildest ends to a football game and craziest Hail Marys we've ever seen. I mean, congrats, you beat. Baylor, you also lost at home to Cincinnati, who's the worst team in the conference. I it's just like you just I get all they lost, but you combine all that with the fact that Houston's 2024 class, and remind you, like early signing period starts in just a few weeks. Houston's 2024 recruiting class is currently ranked 102nd overall. 102nd nationally i'm gonna see if i can see who's around that let's see who is around 122nd with them well 100th is san jose state uh western michigan georgia southern there they are all right um i mean northwestern's below them i, I guess you could you could maybe try and point to that as being a positive like it's not good in recruiting either and so i i, I kind of get the one year they had that was really good and if you want to point to the fact the AAC was down that year, you can. But he's out, 
And Houston's moving on. They're looking for a new head coach. And I'll look, you mentioned Jeff Trailer. Like, my list starts with Jeff Trailer. You call Jeff Trailer and you keep calling Jeff Trailer until he posts a, something on social media saying, I am not going to be the head coach for the Houston Cougars in the Big 12 Conference. And until he does that, you just keep calling him and annoy him until he just flat out says, it's not happening and it's never going to happen. Yeah, the other the other guy to keep an eye on would be Willie Fritz. I think he's going to get a Power 5 job at some point here really soon. They keep, you know, he keeps basically flirting with one. So I wouldn't be shocked if, if especially if Trailer says no, if Fritz is the next call. Make no mistake about it. The reason that, that Dana Holgerson got fired was because of what you brought up when recruiting. You know, you could make the case that Holgerson was trying to make that they're going to, you know, hit the transfer portal hard. But when you're at University of Houston, your bread and butter is going to be recruiting. And to go and get a guy that's recruited the state of Texas like Trailer has, it's a no-brainer. And it, again, would appear to make, I, I don't know why he would stay and not take that Houston job again, considering it's, you know, you're in a hotbed of talent. You can really build that program and they've got a lot of money to spend with Tillman Fertitta. So, you know, I, again, I'm surprised that he hasn't already been offered and accepted the job. Other names that of course are going to be mentioned with this job, Gary Patterson, former TCU head coach. Uh, <laughs> I see one that's got Cliff Kingsbury and Tom Herman, both of which are like, uh, mm, not sure those are retreads I would want. Um, I would uh, take a serious look at GJ Kenny. Honestly, like I understand that he's only been a head coach for two seasons and one season at the FBS level, but sometimes you want to get a guy before everyone else knows that he's somebody you need to grab. Uh, and if they're going to go the coordinator route, I would take a look at Will Stein at Oregon, who was very good at UTSA. If you can't get Jeff Trailer, I don't think Will Stein would be a terrible option as far as a coordinator route. Unfortunately, uh, so- in the coordinator route, they missed out on Jeff Levy, who uh, is taking over at Mississippi State, which... Talk about failing upwards. Like, that's just crazy. <laughs> uh, two notes. One, don't forget to listen to Scott and Holman podcast. I know they already have an episode out about Dana being fired, and I haven't listened to it yet. And I'm sure it's just going to be one of the most joyous, perfect for starting the holiday season kind of episodes you've ever listened to. As far as Jeff Levy goes, I cannot wait. I have such a level of anticipation, like child on Christmas Eve night of how the SEC and how Mississippi State fans will react the first time a photo is posted in which Art Bryles is at a Mississippi State football practice. Because it's going to happen. This is Jeff Lebby. He brought him to a game onto the field in OU apparel while the offensive coordinator OU. Oh, by the way, he's pretty much the guy that started the CAB shirt. So if you think Jeff Lebby won't bring Art on down to Mississippi State, Oh, I cannot wait to see how people react are, to that. Are we sure that Mississippi State fans would be upset about that, though? Again, I just want to see the reaction. <laughs> are we sure Mississippi State fans can read? <laughs> Man, we are on point tonight. Um, Let's talk about the <laughs> championship game. Uh, this Saturday will feature preseason pick Texas versus preseason pick number seven, Oklahoma State. Uh, number seven in everyone else's hearts, number one in Ari Temkin's heart. Uh, and guess what? The story is the tiebreakers didn't matter after all that kerfuffle for the last few weeks about it. And we can articulate later on the offseason why they actually needed to go over those with a fine tooth comb. Um, the tiebreakers didn't matter at all because Kansas State lost and you came down to a head to head between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. And much to the chagrin of certain social media posts or social media posters who like to get popular because they put random lists of things together. Oklahoma State did beat Oklahoma and thus Oklahoma does not get to go to Arlington. I know that that's hard to grasp, but that is the reality. Yeah, there was uh, some confusion over that. I think when you mentioned the tiebreakers didn't come into it, there were still some OU fans that took upon themselves to feel like they were screwed out of something that makes no sense for them to be screwed out of. I mean, it's Texas finished with one conference loss, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma finished with two and Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma. So I'm not sure how that has to, because Oklahoma beat Texas. So Oklahoma should be able to get in because they beat, right. That's, that's how the rule should work. All I can say is Oklahoma State fans, you're welcome that Kansas beat Oklahoma for you. So. Yes, you had to beat them too, but you know that gave them their second loss. So you're welcome. Oklahoma State also beat Kansas. I'm just you know that also. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, but we're talking about Big Twelve Championship getting in over Oklahoma. So yes. Uh, yeah. Speaking of tiebreakers, we all saw the Mountain West, right? That the participants and the host were decided by computer rankings. Yikes! I just needed I needed a coin flip there. I needed coin flips instead. 
but computer rankings, which is insane. I just uh, wish we they would have had a Royal Rumble, you know, of the head coaches. Would have been, we talked about it. It would have been great. I Texas, know. Oklahoma State. Uh, we'll talk about it more on the pick show, but I'm, I'm curious you guys' thoughts just initially on this game that we're going to see on Saturday to decide the, the Big 12. I mean, the first thought that comes to my head is I'm I'm probably actually going to watch it. I wasn't going to watch like Texas versus Oklahoma, you know, two teams that don't want to be here in, in, in the Big 12 fighting for the last Big 12 title. But now that now that Oklahoma State actually has a chance to keep the title within the Big 12 itself, I'm all for it. I'll be rooting hard for Oklahoma State. I think everybody except for Texas fans are going to be rooting against Texas in this one. Yeah, it's uh, it's really intriguing. Um, you know, the reason that I picked Oklahoma State to win the conference initially was because I thought this would be a league of parity and that I wanted a coach that I could trust and that has won. And so, you know, I settled on on Matt on on uh Mike Gundy. I, I also had Iowa State top five in my preseason ranking. So again, I kind of bet on good coaches and that seemed to kind of play out this season. You know, the one thing I had question marks about Sark and his ability to finish games. I think Texas has done a fantastic job of that. As much as I would like to see Oklahoma State beat Texas in the Big 12 championship, and I would, there's a level of poetry here, guys, for for Texas. And, and you know, sort, certainly the, let's say, um, beating that most of these teams have put on them over the last decade of Big 12. When you look at their schedule, the way that it worked out this season, it's pretty wild that they would take on basically all of their longtime opponents and foes. When you look back at the Southwest Conference and and at the Big Twelve and in, in, in that history, but when I mean, you think about having Texas Tech, T- TCU, uh, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, all these teams in the schedule, you beat them all except for Oklahoma, of course, is going off to the SEC. But you beat every one of them. These teams that embarrassed you for the last decade, TCU and K State, Iowa State, certainly among them. And the only team they didn't play the entire season from that group is the team that they somehow get to play in the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma State. So they they have, have an opportunity here to kind of go out knocking off all of these teams that have really had their number over the last decade. And Oklahoma State and TC were at the front of the line on that one. So what you're saying is they've gotten all lined up. They've gotten through all of the you know mini bosses and they're getting ready to face the final boss. That's right. That's exactly right. Since TCU joined the Big 12, Texas has not beaten TCU and Oklahoma State in the same season. Right. And think about that. Like, how crazy is that? And now they're going to play the Big 12 championship. They, this is the only matchup that wasn't going to happen. And somehow it's going to end up happening. <laughs> but, uh, OSU fans were very torn when Texas was not on the schedule. Like, ah, oh, we don't get to play Texas one more time. But also, oh, like, we'll see we the beat them last title. year so we can end, end the series on a on a win. And now it's like, oh, oh. And look, <laughs> I, I just like Texas continues to have issues once they get on the opponent's side of the field of actually converting into touchdowns. Even with the blowout against Texas Tech, they did the same thing. But I still just don't feel like Oklahoma State is the kind of team who can take advantage of Texas's issues of actually scoring no. touchdowns because OSU has the same problem. Oklahoma State could be in big trouble here, guys. Yeah. You can't go down 24 to 6 against Texas and expect to come back. Although they Texas blow a 26-6 lead to TCU, so maybe. But Oklahoma State's had some issues last two last three games one and winning a game and then you know in the last two weeks and not getting down big it's pretty wild how they played on the stretch to win these last few games to get here despite again i mean they got down 24 to 6 and looked helpless against uh you know against byu um and then of course lost 45 to 3 after again getting down two weeks ago whatever it was to houston so it's not been a pretty three games for them and texas texas is really good I mean, they're really freaking good, and they just absolutely destroyed a Texas Tech team that was playing its best football this season. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a matchup of two teams that have played really badly at times and have underperformed. And and I think part of that is just how tough this conference is, parity wise, week in and week out. That there is not a team in this conference that can't on any particular day jump up and surprise people. I think BYU showed that. I think UCF has shown that. You know, I, I think that there's plenty of teams that have shown that they can jump up and beat those teams that they're supposed to get walloped by. You know, Oklahoma State could have a really awful game here, but so can Texas. I think that Texas has shown enough of, you know, big lapses in the way that they play that they're very locked in for a quarter, maybe two. But there is going to be a 10, 10 to 12 minute stretch where they just don't play well. Unless Oklahoma State is also playing just awful during that stretch, it's going to give Oklahoma State an opportunity to stay in this game. I don't know if, if they're going to be able to win it. 
I do think that this is going to be an entertaining game. I do think this is going to be a game that a lot of people are going to enjoy watching. The question is going to be, does it stay that way for the entire thing? Or is Texas able to pull away? If someone blows someone out, it is definitely going to be Texas blowing out Oklahoma state. Yeah. But I do think that Oklahoma state has a fairly decent path to making this a slog, you know, a very down in the trenches, very slow paced game that will allow them to be in it at the end and, and potentially pull out a win. This, this feels like a game with two outcomes, one of two outcomes. Either Texas blows Oklahoma State's doors off or Oklahoma State does Mike Gundy things and finds a way to upset Texas and eke out a like three-point win. Like that, that feels like the only two options here. I don't, I just, like I don't, but seems most likely. But we will see. Um, there will be a lot of orange in Arlington on Saturday. <laughs> That's pretty crazy that like Texas could still be the odd man out in this four-team playoff, even if they win. Yeah. And and I, it's it's sort of Oklahoma State's ish and Baylor ish of them, you know? Like ha ha ha. Suddenly your big bad brand doesn't mean so much, huh? When you're going against Florida State and Alabama and Georgia, suddenly with all the other big brands, suddenly big bad Texas's brand doesn't look so big. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Ohio State and Michigan and Oregon and Washington and like yeah they, Texas feels like they need some things to go their way to still make it which is insane to say a team that went on the road to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama by double digits and might only lose one game to a 10 and 2 Oklahoma needs help to reach the playoff with one loss the funniest How thing is and it's Texas and not Oklahoma right. State no right. but it's but not the Baylor, other thing it's too, not Oklahoma State it's not TC, it's Texas and guess who they need help from Alabama, because honestly, Alabama has to beat Georgia, I think, for them to be able to have a chance. No, because and... in that case, Alabama might have a case to get in. Right, but that's well, Alabama, like... Alabama gets in, and now you're hoping that the Georgia schedule gets held against them. But guess what? The committee does have done a very good job. being like, well, look at this stretch down with Tennessee and Missouri. Tennessee was ranked. What on God's green earth was Tennessee ranked this week? Because yeah, you're setting yourselves up to be able to get Georgia and Alabama both in the playoff again. And if that's, I mean, you get, let's say te- Texas wins. Great. 12 and 1. Okay. Uh, Washington beats Oregon. Michigan wins. Florida State wins. Right. If, if Alabama beats Georgia, you, you've you got five teams. Are you going to put Texas? Like the- well, and don't forget that Ohio State is floating <sighs> out there as well, having only lost to Michigan. Yeah, I that, think in this case, Ohio State's going to get left out because at that probably, point, everyone's but, got the extra data point. But still, like. Well, and I mean, I think anything starts. It really starts with Louisville knocking out Florida State in the ACC championship game. That opens yeah. the door a little bit. But if not, then, yeah, there's a lot of crazy things that can happen. With all that being said, Georgia's going to beat Alabama. Yeah. You, if you're Texas, you're rooting for Georgia. You're rooting for Washington. You're rooting for Michigan. And you're rooting for Louisville. We, we were like, and you're voting, and you're rooting for all of them to win big. We were like 30 seconds away from complete chaos with Auburn and oh, Alabama Auburn. and Washington, oh. Washington State. And even, I mean, Florida, Florida State, Florida was in control a little bit there and then just completely crapped the bed. Oh, Hugh, you freeze. All right. Uh, let's kind of run through some of the games from this week. And obviously, Texas 57, Texas Tech 7. In their final meeting for who knows how long, Texas beats the Red Raiders by 50, the largest margin since Texas won by 51 in 1999. Uh, Texas even trotted out Arch Manning late in the game to play That's a little fade right there. Those still in attendance. Uh, <laughs> Arch Manning is your starting quarterback for Texas next year. I'm, I'm, I, that dude is too good to be sitting another year. He is. Guys, he is athletically at another level. Like I, you know, I, I'm. Not, it's not like I'm blown away by what he's doing on the field statistically, but he, like, you just watch him and he's different. He's a different dude. He, he's gonna be the starter. I'm just next glad year. they decided. I'm just glad they decided to wait until they're in the SEC for him to start. So, what, what do you like? What do you do with Quinn? I you just yeah, like I don't encourage know. him to transfer. I, yeah, I don't know. Do you I, hope that his draft? report comes back that he's like hey you're gonna be like a third round pick you should go you should go do that <laughs> you should go ahead you, you, you should you should we have? i i you know the redskins might be looking for someone <laughs> you know that's go ahead go on there that's a great idea uh for texas tech six and six season that was a 
god awful showing. Like I, that's just look. You guys are gonna have a bowl game. Luckily for Texas Tech, that's not the last Texas Tech football game you have to have this season to hang your hat on. Um, and, and for all those people, and for all those people saying that Brett Yormark put a target on Texas Tech's back, come on. Oh my god. Like seriously, come on. Uh, I mean, he kind of did. But, but also, like, but but Brett Brett Yormark lost, was at the Kansas Oklahoma game, like as well. So it's not like you know Brett seven to seven, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think Yormark that that's called. We have to play you one more time. It's the last game of the regular season. We're making sure that we do this. Let's go. It, it's called. This is a team that is on a mission, and they have yep. knocked off. Can, they, they they have exercised some demons here, and they're feeling themselves. And well, well, right. I mean. Think, think about the demons of last year when Texas Tech won on that ridiculous sequence at the end of that last game. You know, so, yeah, Texas there were plenty of reasons the for whipping Texas to be boy. When they lost to Kansas at home, they've gotten destroyed by TCU. We talked about the stat with TCU at Oklahoma State. Like, this is their revenge tour, guys. <laughs> this is the Texas revenge tour. Yeah. Is it weird, as a Big 12 fan, that I'm, like, I'm okay with Texas beating Oklahoma State in Arlington way more than I would have been Texas beating Oklahoma in Arlington. Like, it's just, it's kind of like a, oh, thank God they didn't both get there. Okay, it's fine. Texas is the best team in the conference. Just win the game. Go, hopefully, go to the playoff. And let's, see. I would like to see Texas in the playoff just for the idea of like, I want to see a team that could actually take advantage of their red zone and their scoring touchdown issues and like see what they actually do when they face off against another, like, you can't see air quotes Alabama in the playoff because I am very intrigued on what happens when they play another game like that, how they look. But, uh, the Texas Revenge Tour is now making its way to Arlington. Uh, Oklahoma State 40, BYU 34 in double overtime. Okay, let me let me just lay this for a second. It took Oklahoma State coming back from down 18 points in the second half. The biggest comeback win at home in school history and a fumble in the second OT that would have been marked down 99% of the time, but was a fumble because the receiver's knee landed on the defensive back's foot. For Oklahoma State to get this win, if that's not the most Mike Gundy bullshit you've ever heard of, like it, I I don't know how many times I've done this this season, but I'm just going to reference the Jesse Pinkman GIF again of he can't keep getting away with this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that is some Mike Gundy bullshit right there. Like what? I, I, even the diehard of Oklahoma State fans, myself included, were sitting here on Twitter just like, all right, well, this has been fun. At least we don't have to get destroyed by Texas and Arlington. Never mind. Screw it. We're going. Let's have some fun. Like. <laughs> I think we all tweeted through that aggressively. Good, great. But that's been the whole thing for OSU this year. They were in nine games, nine of their games this season were one possession games in the fourth quarter. They went eight and one in the three games that weren't a one possession game in the fourth quarter. They were one and two. Think about that for a second. Eight of their nine wins were one possession games in the fourth quarter and they won. I, I, I keep meaning to go back and track Mike Gundy's one score uh, record. Y'all, it's really good. Like it is the antithesis of Matt Campbell. It's insane. Yeah. You kind of stole my comment there. I mean, I was going to say, there's a lot like that Iowa state run to the big 12 championship where they literally got every lucky break to go their way, which I mean, it happens in football, but it also means that unfortunately, I think, I think we might be in for a similar sort of situation, right? Where Iowa state, you know, kind of whiffed on their best chance to win a championship there. And I think Oklahoma state might, you know, or I should say is setting themselves up for a similar type of game where maybe they're there because of luck and not necessarily because they just, you know, well, because they actually earned their way there. Because honestly, BYU had that game and I think BYU like threw that game, not intentionally, obviously, but like they made so many mistakes down the stretch that it felt a whole lot more like Oklahoma State capitalizing on BYU just being awful in the second half, as opposed to Oklahoma state actually forcing the the issue there and coming all the way back. Well, so Oklahoma state, Andy, the success they've had this year is almost a product of like, we're going to mess up less than you. Yeah, pretty that much. That really right. is what they've done. I mean, it's it, in, and to the luck thing. I mean, look, luck plays a factor in, in every team's outcome in the season, L- injury, luck, turnover, luck. I mean, the, BYU got a field goal at the end of the first half, and on the ensuing kickoff, Brennan Presley fumbled and would have given BYU another opportunity to at least kick a field goal at the end of the first half, and somehow Oklahoma State fell on top of it, which it would have – I mean, that would have been 27 to 6 at the end of the first half there instead of 24 to 6. Second half possessions, BYU. Punt, 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 field goal. 
four of their six punts were three and outs. They punted from their own 35 and fourth and one with a three point game, probably the right call. But they, I mean, they did not score the entire second half, did not move the ball, didn't look like they were interested in doing that. Credit Oklahoma State defense, certainly. Credit, I think, BYU for being a little bit too reliant on the run game in the second half. And then, I mean, the fact that they did not, ha- I mean, they had six possessions in the second half and four were three and outs and six punts. And then they go right down the field in 53 seconds and kick the game tying field goal is pretty insane. Uh, but this is kind of how Oklahoma State's played all year and certainly down the stretch of the season when they've had to win these last three. Uh, after beating OU, they had the they laid the egg against UCF and then had this crazy – the Houston game was even crazier than this one was two weeks ago. They won that one going away. But the first half was wild. They went away from Ali Gordon the first half, and he's just leading them all the way. I mean, it's this is the Ali Gordon show. And so, so the second half of the Houston game, second half of the BYU game. Ali Gordon had five – all five of Oklahoma State's touchdowns in this game were scored by Ali Gordon. And there were a couple of those runs where and how many in the second half? Was, four of them. Uh, he had, he had, was it? Th- and he had, and I, I, he, I mean, he no, had nothing three. in the they first had three half. because they had twenty. It was twenty-seven, twenty-seven. Yeah. So it was three in the second half, and then the two in overtime were both him. And That's there right. was the one That's in overtime right. where he went left, and there was nothing, and he found a way to bounce all the way back to right and punch his way in, like. We had three touchdowns in the second half of the Houston game. So that's six touchdowns in the second half of the last two games, not including the two additionally had in overtime. Is, is Ollie Gordon big 12 offensive player of the year? Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue against that. It's not even a close. Like you could, if you want to make an argument for Dylan Gabriel, fine, but like it's Ollie Gordon leads the nation in rushing. He leads the big 12. I think he's got 20 rushing touchdowns. Um, I think he has a passing touchdown. I think he has a receiving touchdown as well. Um, and reminder, he had 19 carries through the first three weeks of the season. <laughs> With three rotating quarterbacks. As you put it, yeah. typical Gundy BS. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if there isn't any turnaround, it's more indicative of that. It's the three quarterback rotation and not how you ball to Ali Gordon. <laughs> we were just saving him for the rest of the year. Uh, as for BYU, like, you, um, Five game losing streak to end the season made it more painful with the final two losses in games where at least for a while in both you outplayed your opponent. Like uh, I would call, I wanted to call this a successful first year for BYU, but when you lose your last five and the last two in the way you didn't, and a lot of that is Keaton Slovis getting injured. And, and look, uh, Retzlov in these last two games played fairly well. I thought he played really well, except for the turnovers against Oklahoma. Like I, I think he had to step up and do the best that he could, but losing Keaton Slovis, I mean, the season was kind of done at that point. Um, I hate it for BYU tough first year in the big 12, but like, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say, honestly, this is probably about as successful a season as you could imagine for a BYU team that, you know, was dealing with a much tougher schedule than they typically have. You know, they're not, they're not facing all of these, you know, whack teams or, you know, other like Mountain West teams or things like that. Like they're facing a ton of Big 12 teams. I think the expectation coming into the year, like a lot of people were thinking four wins for them. So the fact that they went five and seven, had an opportunity in their last two games to make it to a bowl game and just weren't able to finish it. I mean, yeah, it's not like a wildly successful season, but I think if you had to pick either like pass fail, I think that they get a pass for this year as opposed to failing. Um, but they've got to build on it. They have to go to a bowl next year or else, you know, it's like, Come on, what 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 are they like? I think they have enough that they should be able to go to a bowl next year. Yeah, I mean, Andy makes some great points at BYU. I mean, look, they had, at Texas, at West Virginia, Iowa State, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State to close out the year. That final five game stretch that is brutal. I mean, coming into the season, we maybe thought that'd be tough, but not that's brutal. That that's that's the five best teams of the Big Twelve, arguably. So, um, yeah, when it, you know, for all these teams transitioning from the American or in BYU's case, independent, like. You had breaks in your schedule. You play, you know, you could play a tough team in Arkansas, and then six days later play a nobody. It, it, that's the problem with playing at a Power Five conferences. There's just no breaks. You get six days rest, and then you you play another really good team. Then you get six days off. You play another really good team. There's just no stopping. And yeah, I think like, that was the difficulty for all these teams in, in in their first year. The only game that they lost that they really like, you look at like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they lost that. It's a game at TCU. Like that's it. I mean, all those other games where they lost, you know, the loss at Kansas. What was the BYU Baylor game? And that's probably a game they should have won. Or they, the, was that the ba- Baylor came back from behind in the crazy game? You're talking about no, last, that was, last that year? That was Baylor UCF. Was yeah, yeah. Baylor, that, that, that was, yeah, yeah. Baylor and BYU did not play this year. 
Yeah, good call. So, but yeah, I mean that TCU game when they went down to TCU and got absolutely demolished, forty-four to eleven. That's really the only game I look at as a game that, man, that was rough. Like BYU should have won that game or should have at least been competitive in that game. Uh, Oklahoma sixty-nine, nice TCU forty-five. Uh, the team that, that for a while thought they were headed to Arlington was just as nerve-wracked on Saturday. I have friends who are OU fans who I think they were just as nervous as OSU was the way that game went. Uh, this was a good old-fashioned Big Twelve scoring match occurring in Oklahoma's final regular season game as a member of the conference, which only seemed like a fitting way for their tenure to end. One hundred fourteen combined points, eleven hundred twenty-seven combined yards, twenty-eight total possessions. OU punted once all game. Good heavens that was just a classic big 12 game between two teams that a uh, tcu team who's not very good and an oklahoma team that turned it on a little bit too late in the season at home uh so 10 and 2 is a nice year for oklahoma uh, but they're not going to arlington i uh at this point it's alamo bowl versus arizona is every projection i've seen for like three weeks yeah so this was like um you know this was like bradford mahomes part two wasn't it like i mean just the team going back and forth and scoring like crazy I mean, like, I'm not I'm not uh, saying that no, the, the quarterback play was that quality, but like this is a game that reminded like Oklahoma, it seemed like couldn't stop TCU as often as well. No, they did stop them more often, but still like 45 points from TCU is a ridiculous amount. Like the way that their offense has been going, the way that they've been playing. I mean, if I'm at Oklahoma defense, I don't know that that's acceptable to me. 45 points like that's just absolutely ridiculous. I think the story of OU this season is this is what happened to their defense of the Big 12 portion. And as they go to the SEC, um, I mean, I don't know that Brett Venables doesn't start on the hot seat after his first two seasons at, at OU because of the defense. I mean, I I think progress from year one to year two, it had to take a bad year one in the SEC for him to lose it. But I mean, I do think you just can't be this bad defensively. I mean, they they improved no. defensively year one to year two, no doubt. But they, I mean, they they were elite defensively and then fell off a map the the second half of the season really the big 12 portion of the season yeah no agree uh good lord tcu the horn frogs become the first team since texas in 2010 to follow up an appearance in the national championship game with a sub 500 regular season record uh staff changes they are a coming hey tcu maybe levy will do you a favor and take browse off your hands and hire him at mississippi state and all the browse boys can get back together down there in mississippi yeah all family reunion I think TCU this year spent a little bit too much time trying to recreate what they had last year, as opposed to trying to maybe start something new this year. Um, and I think that, you know, offensively was probably the biggest piece of that. Um, but, you know, defensively, offensively, just everything that worked last year for them did not this year. This is one of those examples of things even out in football year over year. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I think it was a, you know, the idea last year was to play, or I should say the offense they put together last year, right. Was initially built for Chandler Morris. Max Duggan took over after the, in the injury to Morris in the first game of the season and ran with it. And I don't think the TCU staff realized this year, just how much of their success last year came from what Max Duggan does, as opposed to the system they put together. And it took them a long time to change the system, to try to adapt it this year. They were very slow. I think to adapt to the players that they had, and they had too much faith in the system that they had last year that showed success right. when really it was the players that drove that success. So, yeah, I agree. I think that they they assumed that it was kind of a continuity type of thing that was going to allow them to be successful again this year. But what we came to find out was that they had a lot of good playmakers that really kind of made that system tick. And when you don't have the same playmakers, especially the one at quarterback, you know, it, it's very difficult to replicate that type of success if you don't have a guy that can be that dynamic. When we can put the focus on the offense, and again, you burned all your goodwill to hire Bryle, so bravo there. Like the defense completely fell off the face of the earth this year, which like they lost a bunch of key guys. But I don't think TCU and and Sonny Dykes even realized how bad the defense would fall off. You gave up 45 to Colorado in the opener. You gave up 35 to Texas Tech, 69 to close out the season. Uh, Like it wasn't good. Like, even in games where they're competitive, like, you couldn't rely on the defense. It really felt like if we're going to win this, the offense is going to have to do it. The defense isn't going to do enough for us to win these games. I just, like, I was really shocked by how big of a drop off the defense. So, and we can talk about making changes at the offensive coordinator position, but I have to wonder if the DC, if defense, if changes on the defensive side of the ball come as well. I, I don't know that I necessarily agree that the defense fell off spectacularly. Like, yeah, they have some that just, 
like I think this was a case of a, the defense took a small step because you, you look what they did last year. The only game that I would say the defense won for them last year was the game at Texas um, when they won that one 17 to 10. The rest of them, you know, you've got teams scoring 28, 31, 34, 40. Like you've got big offensive efforts last year, like big point productions. But what you didn't have was an offense that was going to turn the ball back over and put the defense in a really bad situation, which the TCU offense did a ton this year. I'm not saying that the defense got was was good this year at all by any stretch, but I don't think you can put all the blame on the defense when the offense was just abysmal this year and quite often made it very difficult for the defense to stop point. One place you don't have to expect any changes are at Charlie Hustle because you can expect championship quality consistency. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today. Show off your school spirit all season long. They've got basketball apparel for some of your teams. Basketball season is here. They've got every Big 12 team except for Cincinnati. They do have Colorado. Those are just some of the more than 30 schools to choose from. They've got you covered with all your college apparel needs today. So go to charliehustle.com, use the promo code 101215, T-E-N-1215, and get 15% off all non-sale items. They're going to have sales going all the way through the end of the year that are going to offer you even better discounts. So make sure that you're going to charliehustle.com every single day. Sign up for emails. Okay, they got Black Friday sale. I don't know how long it's lasting. It may be over by now. I'm sorry. I got the uh, Big 12 Kansas City Skyline shirt. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Charlie Hustle and the Big 12 continue to build their relationship, so I fully expect more Big 12 apparel from Charlie Hustle in the near future. Plus, guys, it's time to Christmas shop, so go and do that. Guys, gals, folks, uh, whatever nomenclature you want to use, go to charliehustle.com, 10, 12, 15, 15% off all non-sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. Uh, the most football game that was played... This Saturday was, of course, Farmageddon. Iowa State 42, Kansas State 35. In the snow, in a damn blizzard, Iowa State goes on the road and pulls off the Farmageddon upset. Games like this are why it should just be a protected rivalry. I'm sorry. We can we can talk about why it's not, and Jamie Pollard can fight tooth and nail to not have to play that game every year. Blah, 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 blah. That game was fantastic. Just incredible. Um, <laughs> There's something about yet? playing in the snow that just makes football so much better. I just, I want to go to a game like that one time. I don't, I'm not like, I just one snow game and then I'll be good. I just need to check that off my to-do list just for the experience to say that I've done it and then never, ever do it. I was going to say, it's one of those things. Once you've done it, you're like, I don't want to ever do that again, but it is fantastic to watch on TV at least. Yes. Yeah. I've been to some cold ones at, at Soldier Field in Chicago, which is on the lake. And like, so I think the biggest thing you think about with snow games is how it's impacted the the game itself and that was what was so great about this game was like it didn't you know it didn't right it, it, it was still a great game there was offensive explosion there's some crazy great plays uh abu sama went wild um so yeah it, like you think about some of those games it's like six three nobody can kick they're so windy and nobody could pass and like at least this didn't wasn't impacted uh total plays in the game kansas state 102 iowa state 35 but you only need 35 plays when you score on plays of 60, 71, 77, 79, and 82 yards. <laughs> of course, started early. The very first play of the game was a 70-yard touchdown run. Uh, Abusami, the third, fourth best single rushing game in Iowa State history. 276 yards on 16 carries. For those of you trying to do the math at home, that's uh, 17.3 yards per carry. Yeah, I, I checked that in. Dumb. I checked into the game like when KU was in the second quarter and it was, you know, probably about like 10 minutes into this game and Iowa state had run three plays at that point, And two of them were touchdowns of 70 plus yards. It was so, so ridiculous. And he had a fumble. He also had a fumble in that stretch too. He, I mean, he had three 60 plus yard touchdown runs in this game. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was so bad. Like, so. And Jalen, no, uh, Noel had two 60 plus yard touchdown catches in this game that were really all him. In terms of of yardage so like maybe the snow impacted some of the tackling on kansas state side but like my god for it, iowa state to do a 180 like they've done in terms of like offensive firepower and output within the same season it's unbelievable iowa state was in the level of iowa 
early on this year as terms of an offensive outfit. To think that they could have had a running back put 270 on a board in the game is insane. Yeah. Matt Campbell, you you don't get to turtle this at the start of the next season. You're not going to like put this back in the box. This is what your offense is. Just roll with it because it works. Um, as for Kansas State, look, I get the Kansas State fans. It's it's You can call this a disappointing season when you had returned back to Arlington expectations. Um, losing Farmageddon. No one's ever happy with that in Manhattan. I don't want to, we're not going to pile on Will Howard. Like Will Howard from where he was before last year and our expectation of like, this kid should never start a football game for Kansas state to leading them to a big tall title last year, playing the way he did this year. I know he was very up and down, but like, I like Will Howard. Like I want to give Will Howard props because I feel like there's a lot of hate coming Will Howard's way. I'm like, it wasn't Will Howard's fault that Kansas State gave up touchdown plays of 60, 71, 77, 79, and 82 yards in a game. So, uh, right. It's, one, it's not Will Howard's job to Kansas tackle game. people. So, go ahead. Sorry. I'm still, I'm still bitter about the Kansas game. Yeah. Um, me too. Because, I, you know, I, he just, I, I, Kansas should have won that game. Will Howard did not play well down the stretch and they should have won it, but they didn't. And uh, so they, I think the thing with K-State fans in some ways is like rightfully they're upset that like, why did you put take the G out of the bottle with Avery Johnson? And then like, not like, what was the point of Avery Johnson? <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Just play for one game and score five touchdowns and then we'll never see you again or very rarely. So, I mean, I, I talked to Scott over on the boss's wife podcast when we previewed the, the KU game. And I think it was very much like, for those Kansas fans that remember, you know, when, uh, when, when uh, Leipold got here and they named Jason Bean as the starter because he was the most consistent, right? Like, like, I think that was what the issue was that there was worries about Avery Johnson and his consistency from, from game to game and that there was going to be a lot of up and downs. And sure, I don't and know I, that we necessarily would have seen I'm not saying they should have but... featured him and be, have the, have the, be their starter. Um, but we, I think the next game following the tech game, we saw him for one series and like, we never, I mean, I, I get, I guess I get that to a certain degree. And maybe the Texas tech game just offered up some opportunities. It was just odd to kind of see him in the one game feature the Agreed. way that he was, and then not figure out a way to get him more involved on a snap to snap basis. I didn't think it had to be all or nothing in terms of the quarterback position. Why not work him out there? I, I'm, you know, I love Chris Kleiman. I think he's a great coach. And I say that even as a KU fan, but. You think Andy Kolnick, he's not running Avery Johnson out there with, with you know, uh, with Will Howard? I mean, Andy Kolnick, he does so many direct snaps to running backs. And with the idea, you know, that was supposed to be Jason Bean at the running back position. Like, if if Avery Johnson was on this team, he probably would be out there for at least half the offensive snaps because they could do so many different things. with. So, yeah. So the moral of the story is Avery Johnson should have gone to KU. Obviously, that was the whole point. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Scott, is it? Stop. Um, UCF <laughs> yeah. 27, Houston 13. UCF is going bowling in year one in the Big 12, becoming the ninth team to seal the deal on Saturday. They beat, soundly I might add, one of the teams participating in the conference championship game. And as we predicted for the season, they finished with the best record of the four incoming schools with three conference wins. Like, it's a successful year one for UCF. And I think most UCF fans, at least the ones I had talked to and the ones we had on uh, our our fan roundtable before the season, were get to a bowl game and it's a good year. And for UCF to kind of look like it wasn't going to happen and then get the wins over Houston and the Oklahoma State win down the stretch, to get to six wins, you had some close losses, and that's something you you can overcome moving forward. It's a good year for UCF. I mean, to get to a bowl game in year one of the Big 12, when none of the other newcomers did, yeah, you left some meat on the bone, Baylor game. Yeah, I have to say. Uh, I, I, I have to call it a good year one. Yeah, I mean, that, that Baylor game is the one that made you think, oh my gosh, the wheels are going to completely fall off here, especially since, you know, they had the Baylor game, and then they went to Kansas and got yeah. absolutely destroyed. Um, Legend. but they were able to get it turned around and, and, uh, you know, good teams are able to do that. Uh, you know, it was not a, it was not the kind of year that they were hoping for, but I think it was the kind of year that you can reasonably expect as a good starting point and a jumping off point for their time in the big 12. And, you know, I, I think that's all that UCF wanted this year was to make sure that they, they performed to a level that they could build on that and build some success in this conference. And I don't see any reason why UCF can't do that moving forward. Yeah, and look, I mean, an injury to John Rice Plumley, while Timmy McLean did play well through stretches, it was just a different operation. And I think Plumley came back and he he felt like he played he played like a guy that's playing his final few games of college football. Like he we we finally saw, I think, some 
you know, a little bit of just uh, energy because you always see energy from his game, but it just felt like he he realized like, this is it for me. I better go out swinging. So um, no doubt you get to a bowl game. You're one of the big 12 and uh, that's huge. And look, I mean, yeah, the, the Baylor game is a disgraceful loss. It was one of the craziest games I'll ever see. Um, but they kind of even that out by, you know, beating a team that's going to play for a big 12 championship here, 45 to three. And, you know, one of the think about those two games this year, those are just two. Cra- so it's almost like those games even each other out. Cause how does that happen? I mean, if you want to complain, you left me to the bone. Obviously, the Baylor game, uh, Oklahoma, that ridiculous right. fourth down call, or the two-point conversion call, sorry. And then Texas Tech, you lose on a missed extra point when you should have just been able to tie the game and can extend that, potentially get that win. And so you definitely leave it on the bone. But, but let's be honest, the 12, that's the Big 12 the, this year, right? Well, in the Big 12, it's you got to win. It's you got to win the close games, and that is. And there have been some crazy finishes. There have been some crazy yeah. finishes. Like it's tough to remember all. They are they're all starting to mold together for me. Like it's like, oh yeah, that wasn't <laughs> right. Like like when you when you have the Houston Hail Mary against West Virginia, and that yeah, like any other conference, that's probably by far the craziest finish of the year. I, I don't know that that's like it's probably still the craziest finish of the year, but I I don't know yes. that that's for sure. Yes. No, it, it's number one, but I mean, there's some one. But the, and, right. And but there's not a gigantic gap from one to two. No, no. Uh, and the Houston, Texas game. Not a gigantic. Holy God, there's so yeah, many good Houston, ones. Texas game. Uh, yeah, the refs are against us. Sure, Texas. Um, <laughs> West Virginia 34, Baylor 31. Look, Baylor scored 14 points off two Richard Reese for kickoff returns. Like, other than that. And look, and look, the West Virginia's offense could do like nothing in the second half until the final drive to get the win. It was like all that, and Baylor still couldn't get the win. Um, for West Virginia, you got eight wins, and I still don't feel like West Virginia fans are like happy with the season and happy with Neil Brown despite getting eight wins. And 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 I get that. I think a large portion of the fan base is was checked out on him before the season started, and uh, anything short of like winning the Big Twelve wasn't really going to change their mind. But you had an eight win season. Yeah, the schedule is stacked in your favor in some extent, but like you win eight and four, you beat Pitt. Uh, yeah, you blew games against Houston, Oklahoma State. You probably could have won. You got blown out once by Oklahoma. The Penn State game wasn't that close, but also there's a late score to make it look weird. I just like I, I think this was actually a really good season for West Virginia, and I hope West Virginia fans are appreciating it for being what feels like a good season that could end with nine wins. That's pretty dang good and and might actually be showing that Neil Brown's figured some things out and has done the one thing he hasn't been able to do in his tenure and find a quarterback and Garrett Green looks like him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest problem for West Virginia in terms of the fan base this year has been that, you know, the first three, four games of this season went about the way people expected and then everybody expected them to fall off a cliff after that. And so by the time that they realized, hey, wait a minute, this might actually be a good team this year that it's actually going to do something, they had already used up all of the, you know, the big shocking wins or all, you know, had, had basically gotten to the point where everyone expected them to be a really good team. And then when they kind of, you know, struggled down the stretch with some of the harder schedule that they ran into, then those fans that hadn't been paying attention all year long or had the super low expectations saw them start to not perform as well against tougher competition and kind of fell off again. So I think unfortunately, because there was no expectation being in the year, you know, they kind of missed the window of getting really excited about this team and, you know, talking about eight and four as a really good year. It became instead kind of the opposite of what I talked about over on the, on the rock chalk podcast about like for Kansas, this was a, Hey, they built on stuff. You feel good about eight and four, even though they could have been 10 and two, if some things had gone a little bit differently. Whereas West Virginia, I think everybody expected to be so bad that when they were finally good, they missed out on the window of appreciation of, Hey, this is actually a fairly good team that may just not get some results down the stretch. Look, I think this is a really good season for West Virginia. They they did what they were supposed to do. They took care of business and won the games that they were supposed to win. The only one they didn't was the Houston game. But I mean, you look at their schedule. They 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 feasted on bad teams, which is what you should do. Texas Tech, TCU, they won those games. They beat UCF, BYU, Cincinnati. They beat the newcomers, you know, Baylor, and then at the end. So I mean, they they beat the teams they were supposed to beat. The one, I mean, the Houston game is inexplicable. Garrett Green taking off his helmet and and giving them the extra yardage. It just again inexplicable. But I think the thing is you didn't really know what to expect. Like there, we didn't really know much about Garrett Green. We didn't know what was going to happen at running back. 
This year, a lot of guys have emerged. Jaheim White, the true freshman running back, has emerged. He's been spectacular for them. Garrett Green's good. I'm curious about him. I'm I'm curious about him moving forward and what they have with, you know, Nico Marchial, who is pretty highly recruited a quarterback coming up behind him. So, um, you know, look, I, anybody that paid attention, I think, figured this team was not going to be the worst team in the Big 12 this year, despite what the media predicted in terms of the projections. But, um, you know, they – I think they certainly figured even I think I had them at nine or 10. So high, certainly higher than I expected. And they took care of business against bad teams. That's what they did. So uh, put on them. Honestly, I think, Look, I think West Virginia and Baylor kind of flipped right for what expectations were. I think people expected Baylor to be kind of middle of the pack this year and West Virginia to be the one that struggled down with all the newcomers. And instead Baylor's the one that struggled with down all down with all the newcomers and West Virginia actually looked like a decent team for most of the year. I mean, look, you've, I've seen the comments on Twitter. Like they didn't beat anybody. You beat FCS Duquesne, three and nine Pitt, six and six Texas Tech, five and seven TCU, six and six UCF. And Louisville didn't beat Pitt. They're playing for an ACC championship. So three and nine Baylor. But like uh, the three good teams you played, Penn State, OSU, and Oklahoma, you lost by double digits. And then the freaking game against Houston. So like that's fine. If you want to, if you want to say I need to see them do this against a better schedule or against better teams, like okay, that's fine. If you want to still hold out, well, you're gonna get one more year, year of Neil Brown. Like he's not going anywhere, but I would celebrate and enjoy this because I think it's, it's, you've, you've had a lot of wins and maybe take a minute if you're a West Virginia fan who hasn't like enjoyed this season. Like I've been there. I've had a season where like you had a good year and you didn't enjoy it enough. Like enjoy the good ones. Cause they don't always come around. Um, speaking of not having a good one, um, Dave Aranda will return as head coach in 2024. Athletic director, Mac Brown has told basically everybody at this point. Yikes. Um, as we kind of thought might happen. Uh, He'll be calling plays report. on defense and Jeff Grimes is out as offensive coordinator. Sorry. I don't know if you had that. I did. I did. That's okay. Uh, because the, that would mean uh, Dave Aranda would have a fifth and sixth different play caller going into his fifth year in Waco as he will be a first time defensive coordinator for his team as he's had DCs before. Not a recipe for success. I Yikes. man, like Can somebody I, help me I, figure out why Baylor or Houston has not already hired Jeff Trailer. I want look the the, the story somebody was he turned him. down Texas Tech. Well, he, he turned down Texas Tech, right? Because Texas Tech was open, they wanted Jeff Trailer, and then they got Joey McGuire instead. And so it may be that Jeff Trailer's not there. It's perfectly fine now. At this point, for Trailer, like Sark's got it rolling at Texas. That job's not opening anytime soon. Um, A&M's open, but it doesn't sound like you're going to get the job. So no, A&M has actually already hired Mike Elko. Is it official now? Official. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So A&M just hired their new coach. So unless you want to keep waiting around for one of those guys to get fired in the next few years, your shot to jump up to P5 is probably now. Because uh, I don't see this working outside of Texas. Like it, 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 maybe, it, maybe at Oklahoma State. Maybe at Arkansas where he's coached, but like the whole thing is the Texas high school coach relationship, right? And so I don't see him going to Oregon, many like many places, some in random the country. Yeah. When that is what he's built his whole thing on. And I'm not saying that he's not a good coach and it's a shtick. Please don't take it that way. I just I wonder sure. if Jeff Trailer can find the same success outside of Texas or far outside of Texas that he will do in Texas. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, you're talking you're talking about like mid tier jobs in the SEC is is you know the comparative, I guess, right? And and yeah, I mean, if you're looking to get to the upper echelon of the SEC jobs, eventually you're going to go have to go to Houston or Baylor first, or Mississippi State or whatever first. And wouldn't you rather go to Houston or Baylor since since your roots are in Texas? Yeah, I mean, and and really, when you're trying to make that jump up, you want to give yourself every advantage that you possibly can, right? And so building on those pre existing relationships. Yeah in a place where you know you're going to be able to keep those pre-existing relationships and keep mining them for the kind of successful talent that you've been able to get. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why he would, like, want to go outside of Texas for his first Power 5 job. Now, maybe he doesn't think that the situations are set up well, but, you know, I, I just, I, I think that if you're going, you know, like, you're not going to get a perfect job, right? You're not going to get, like, a, um, you know, like, a Bob Stoops retiring and being able to step in if you're a head coach, you know, at a smaller school, because you're just not going to be able to inherit a situation like that. So you're going to need to go to one of these places where it's a little bit more difficult and work your way up. And I think he can do it. The question just becomes, where does he want to do it? Or does he even want to do it? Houston and Baylor ain't broke. Houston's got money. Baylor's not open. 
if you want to if you prefer Baylor want to wait for Baylor that that's fine it'll I have a hard time seeing Dave Aranda pull off another miracle season like 2021 but maybe he does maybe he does I don't know maybe that maybe maybe he becomes the perfect head coach DC and he finds an OC that makes sense and other changes get made but like Aranda has been turning over position coaches and his staff like since he got there and I just Feels at this point like he caught lightning in a bottle for one season, and that's been it. Uh, Kansas 49, Cincinnati 16. Um, you, you hired a guy who the school who had him didn't want him, so you took him away, Cincinnati, and that school got instantly better, and you got immediately worse. Um, your one Big 12 winners over Houston, and the closest you came to beating an incumbent 10 member was a three point loss to Baylor. Like, for all intents and purposes, this was a god awful season for Cincinnati, and I like—I don't like the Scott Satterfield hire. I don't see how there's suddenly like this. This is a team with him in the head who's going to like compete for Big Twelve titles. Andy, just, what? Andy, what's he doing? What? What? What, what are you doing? I'm Kansas, saving the best for last. Kansas is eight and four. They score forty nine yeah, points in a football on, hold game. On. I'm getting the Cincinnati out of the way so you guys can talk about Kansas unfettered. I'm trying to just okay. Kansas 49. Lance Leipold is taking Kansas from two wins <laughs> to six wins to eight so far. Mind you, those two Scott wins Satterfield. came in a season. Those two wins came in a season where he didn't even take over until spring practice football was basically over. Y'all, Andy, go ahead, buddy. This You've is been progress. It for this is yeah. progress. Philip, Philip. First of all, thank you so much for making us eat our peas and getting them out of the way so we could have the real, you know main course that that fantastic stake which is kansas going eight and four on the season look we talked about it over on the rock chalk podcast that this is a this is a season that you can look and you can say that man it was disappointing that they weren't able to pull, pull out the game against texas tech or the game against you know against kansas state and then if you had jason bean like you saw what jason bean did in this game if they had jason bean in either of those games either the full texas tech game or that kansas state game i have a hard time imagining that they don't win at least one of them if not both but this is a team, I think, that you look at what they've done, and that eight and four, I think, is even more impressive because of what they've had to overcome this year. With Jalen Daniels going out so early, Jason Bean taking over. You know, Jason Bean is a as a player has developed so much. He's legitimately being talked about as an NFL prospect at this point. Like day three quarterback, probably in the draft, or an undrafted free agent that tries to latch on somewhere. But the the way that he played, the way that people were talking about him. In this last game, he has tools that he's developed in his time at Kansas that allow you know people to envision him as potentially playing on Sundays, which is a huge step up from anything that Kansas has done, you know, in the last decade and a half. So I do think, you know, at, at that type of skill position, that brings extra visibility to the Jayhawks. Um, but the fact that they've been able to overcome all of that and, you know, Andy Kotelnicki on the offense has been able to have a productive offense, but Honestly, I think my biggest surprise this year was just the step forward that Brian Borland's defense had. They were awful last year. And a lot of that was because they didn't have the kind of players that they needed. They brought in a great transfer class of a bunch of guys who were really good last year, but they were still dealing with a lot of the high school players that got recruited that probably weren't big 12 caliber players. You know, they took a huge step forward this year and the transfer portal those, you know, those guys that they got were absolutely phenomenal for them. And so I think the big story, yes, Kansas went eight and four, built on last year, got better, could have been even better. So there is definitely kind of a missed opportunity kind of vibe to it. But I think the most important thing is that they built on last year and you look at this team, I don't see any good reasons to think that they won't build on this moving forward. Does that mean they're going to win a big total championship in the next two or three years? Pro I mean, not necessarily because of how you know, parody driven this league is, but it's definitely something that I think is a possibility. And I think Lance Leipold, like eight and four is not the, 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 the top of what Kansas can do in the, in the new big 12 when Lance Leipold's at the helm. Yeah. I mean, I think Andy, you hit, you hit on it really well at the beginning with the, you know, the juxtaposition of man, it's crazy to have eight wins for a Kansas football season and be disappointed because it, it yeah. felt like it should have been more. He felt like you should have been in the Texas tech game. And so that's kind of crazy. And then to juxtapose that with the reality of they only played how many games of the preseason Big 12 player of the year? This is Kansas football we're talking Two. about. And still managed eight wins with three quarterbacks starting games for them. A walk-on true freshman. 
you know, starting games and looking good. Like the one of the big things come out of this year is it's like I want to see more, more Cole Ballard moving forward next year. Uh, you know, as for for Bean, look, I mean, Bean has been a savior for this team. You know, look, he he's going to be an NFL player. I don't think he's not going to be a quarterback. He's going to be a guy that if he wants to play, will will play everywhere and be a really good weapon. He's a guy that can play in the slot. I mean, he's done it all in terms of what he's done at KU, and I mean, he's I think he could be an NFL, a productive NFL player. He'll be a Taysom um, Hill type player that can right, play yeah, like four he, different positions. Right. He, what's crazy is he he's certainly better this year, but I think the biggest difference between this year and last year is their defense is so much more improved. So like he was good last year. They just didn't win games because their defense literally could not get stops ever. So like he was just not good enough. And this year he's been like, I mean, look at his numbers last year, he had 14 touchdowns and four picks. He has 12 touchdowns and four picks this year had a higher completion percentage, has 400 more yards passing. Again, the numbers, to me, it's just more about their defense. I mean, you mentioned it, Andy. They're, they're, Brian Borland's defense was just so much better that it, it put them in position to win a lot more of these football games. And again, if he doesn't get hurt, you know, I certainly think they win the Texas Tech game. Who knows by how the K-State game goes. But but certainly with where this program was to where it is now to win eight games, to be going back-to-back bowls for the second time in the history of Kansas football, I think that says a lot. Philip, I really appreciate you bringing on another Kansas guy for this episode, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> always, always happy to, to give you some support, Andy. I know it's a, <laughs> I know it's a struggle. It's been rough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap up real quick. One thing we need to note, uh, Big 12 Volleyball, shout out to TCU, Baylor, Houston, BYU, Texas, Iowa State, and Kansas, all making it in to the NCAA tournament bracket. Uh, Kansas, Iowa State, Texas, BYU, Houston, all seeded, though Houston will be on the, and Iowa State will be on the road as eight and seven seeds, respectively. Uh, so TC will be at six seed, Florida State, Baylor at seven seed, James Houston, James Madison, sorry, <laughs> eight seed Houston will play UC Santa Barbara in Stanford, or at Stanford, four seed BYU will host Mother State, two seed Texas hosts Texas A&M, huh? yeah, seven seed Iowa State is, uh, will face off against Hawaii, and four seed Kansas will host Omaha. Uh, good luck to all of those teams in the volleyball tournament. Uh, we will follow that uh, through the next couple of weeks. We will continue to have episodes into December. The break doesn't come until Christmas and New Year, so we've got plenty to talk about. Always a pleasure to have our good friend Andy Mitz on. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter at AndyMitz12. Check out the Rock Chalk podcast. It's available everywhere podcasts can be found. And, of course, you can find it at 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Ari, sir, always a pleasure to have you here. Do us a favor. Where can everybody check out the incredible work you do covering college sports and sports in general? Yeah, sure, buddy. On Twitter at Ari Sports and uh, yeah, SiriusXM Big 12 Radio from 7 to 10 a.m. Central. Go subscribe to SiriusXM and make sure you get Big 12 Radio. It's on 375. Always a pleasure to hear the show on Big 12 Radio. Always a pleasure to be on. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, poke, poke. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite stories is always uh, calling in to the show uh, from the hospital uh, the morning after my wife gave birth to our first kid. Uh, still uh, still quite humorous to me. And when I like to tell my daughter about like, hey, did you know when you were born, daddy called into a radio show? And she's like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> one day that'll, that'll <laughs> land for you. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have been great. That's Appreciate awesome. it. We'll be back on Thursday with picks for championship week. Very exciting. Uh, second to last picks episode. We will talk to you all again then. Podcast Network.